You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is the Locked On Marlins podcast. As always, I'm your host, Aram Layton. I'm a minor league play-by-play broadcaster as well as a longtime Marlins writer. And in this episode, we are going to be talking about another trade that the Marlins made, another one that I do like. They go get another bullpen arm, John Curtis from the Rays, taking from the stable of talented arms that the Rays have. The Marlins also taking from the surplus of the Dodgers as well when they traded for Dylan Floro last week. I think Curtis could be just as interesting, if not more, as he will slot in to that 7th, 8th, ninth inning type of role potentially for the Marlins as well. I still expect Anthony Bass to be the closer, though I do think if there is some faltering with Anthony Bass, or if Yimmy Garcia is struggling, we could easily see Curtis slide into some high leverage roles in the eighth inning or pick up a couple saves in the ninth inning as well. He did pick up two saves for the Rays this past season, was one of four players for the Rays to pick up more than one save, but had a fantastic year overall. We look at the numbers in 25 innings, a 1.8 ERA, struck out 25 and only walked three, which was a really impressive development for Curtis, who had struggled with command in the past and in his minor league career. I'm going to talk about some of the changes he made that have me sold on the improved command that we saw from him and why the Marlins can expect more of the same this coming season. As for what the Marlins had to give up, you got to give up to get, right? The Marlins had to trade Evan Edwards, a solid first base prospect who I've talked about on the podcast quite a bit as an underrated prospect in this Marlins system, but you knew the Rays were going to ask for somebody that is more underrated in the system because that's what they do. They identify undervalued targets. But with Edwards, I don't know if it's necessarily undervalued for him as the Marlins kind of knew what they had with Evan Edwards. And the reality is he's already going on 24 years old. He's never played above A-ball and he struck out 26% of the time in his 68 games in A-ball. Yes, he hit eight home runs, but if he's going to have that much swing and miss as a college bat, at the A level, then I'm going to need to see a ridiculous power output. And he didn't have a ridiculous output, though he is a very interesting hitter and could be a big leaguer and I think has a lot of good tools that could point towards him being a very solid first base prospect climbing through. But there are some red flags, and I think the Marlins saw an opportunity to cash in here and trade what is a pretty easy position to discover uh, guys that can hit at first base and the fact that the Marlins have Lewin Diaz there and I just don't think the Marlins are too concerned about finding another Evan Edwards and they were more concerned with bolstering the bullpen and let's be real the Marlins really needed to bolster this bullpen if you remember my episode probably two weeks ago maybe less where I said the Marlins cannot roll into this coming season with the bullpen they have at this moment and at that moment the Marlins were pretty much looking like they were going to have Yimmy Garcia as the closer and And then your best guess as to who would be the setup guy. Now it's a lot better looking for the Marlins where I would say the floor of the bullpen is a lot higher, not as many question marks. And basically they were holding out for some guys to have to overachieve if they had rolled into the season with that bullpen. They instead add a couple decently proven bullpen arms from quality teams. 
And while this may not be the best bullpen or one of the best bullpens in baseball, it should be pretty steady. And that's all the Marlins really need with a very solid pitching rotation and some potential prospects that now the Marlins don't have to count on to be able to call up and plug into the bullpen like a Jorge Guzman. But if they are able to put it together this year in a relief type of role, then the Marlins will have some bonuses there as well. The most important thing is I didn't hate everybody in this Marlins bullpen. There's some middle relief guys that I really like as middle relief guys. But the problem was before the Marlins added Bass, Floro, and Curtis, it was looking like some of the guys that are middle relievers were going to have to step up and be setup guys. And I think we were mostly counting on the Marlins making some acquisitions, but it also seemed like for a point in time there that there might not be too many acquisitions outside of just Anthony Bass. And even Craig Mish had said, this might be the roster we're going to roll into the season seeing. Since then, the Marlins have made two quality bullpen acquisitions, and the interesting thing about both Floro and Curtis is that they both pitched in the World Series this past year. Curtis for the Rays, Floro for the Dodgers, and then the Marlins adding Duvall. The Braves were one game away from the World Series, so a lot of competitive guys that were just playing on a pretty big stage, even Anthony Bass was closing games for a playoff ball club, had seven saves of his own. So I think Bass slides in as the closer here. Garcia is likely the eighth inning guy, and then you have Floro and Curtis fighting for the seventh inning type of positions. Of course, it'll be dictated based on the situation because as we take a dive into Curtis here, you can kind of see what the role that will be carved out for him will be. So with Curtis, he is mostly just a fastball slider guy. And those are two good pitches, two plus major league pitches for him. He's 6'5", he hides the ball well, he sits more 93 to 95, but the ball explodes out of his hand and he's able to get a lot of swings and misses. I have a video that I tweeted on my personal account where he's blowing a fastball by Brian Anderson and Anderson spikes his bat in frustration, but you can really see the explosiveness on that fastball. While Curtis is not an elite swing and miss guy, he's an above average swing and miss reliever that gets the most out of his stuff because of his newfound plus command. And throughout his minor league career, he had actually really struggled with command. He had walked up to five batters per nine innings in some pretty large stints through AAA with the Angels, with the Twins, with the Phillies as well. And it just did not look like he was going to totally put it together as a former sixth round pick. He showed some flashes of some impressive seasons where I think with the Twins in AA in 2017, pitched to a .72 ERA and was their closer, picking up 13 saves. He was fantastic there, punching out 35 in those 25 innings. But then the command would tend to regress a little bit, and that was the big issue for him. He'd fall into a lot of hitters' counts, and they'd sit on the fastball. But with Curtis, the Rays did what they do best. They found a pitcher that has tools, and they were able to maximize those tools. Curtis in the past had been somebody that goes out of the windup, and his windup was somewhat herky-jerky. If you look at him in this past season with the Rays, he exclusively goes out of the stretch even with nobody on. His mechanics are way more repeatable and way more efficient, and he's able to just get a lot more torque with his body and hides the ball, like I mentioned earlier, really well. The Rays were able to maximize his stuff there. That's why I don't think it's a fluke in those 25 innings from what he did this past year. 
I know that the last time the Rays traded the Marlins a reliever that it didn't go so well. But with Ryan Stanek, I don't think it was something where the Rays saw him and were just like, this guy's going to fall off a cliff, let's trade him. I think that he was showing some of those signs of regression. I think the Marlins were even aware of it as well, but they figured that he should be fine and continue to at least pitch at a decent level. But the Marlins didn't care. I think Stanek was more of that throw-in. The priority there was to get Jesus Sanchez, a top 100 prospect that you were getting for a reliever, albeit a very good one in Nick Anderson, and a filler type of swing man like Trevor Richards. So you still got a top 100 prospect. That was the focal point. Stanek was more of a throw-in, and the Marlins needed to just try to fill in that role in the bullpen, and he wasn't great. But I think when we look at Curtis, it wasn't like the Rays were actively shopping this guy. It was another good trade partnership because the Rays had just parted with Nate Lowe, their first base prospect, or was a longtime top first base prospect, and ultimately was getting a good portion of big league at-bats the last year and a half, and looked pretty solid, but they ultimately wanted to part ways with him, and they also, in that package, traded another first base prospect in Jake Gunther, who is a similar profile to Edwards, though I'd say Edwards has a higher ceiling and more power potential. So for the Rays, they traded two first basemen. And for them, it was an opportunity to sell from somebody that, similar to the Marlins with Nick Anderson, where they basically got this reliever for nothing and could flip them for something they needed in their farm system. That's what they did. And I don't think it's much deeper than that. For the Marlins, it's a clear-cut upgrade and now bolsters that back end because the big question was, can you bridge the gap from the sixth inning to the ninth? Now, the Marlins still need to have that clear-cut closer, but I still think Bass can be that guy. And now you have several different options to go with to bridge that gap from the sixth or seventh inning to the ninth and not waste away the potentially a lot of quality starts that the Marlins are going to get from this rotation. I'm going to dive into Curtis's numbers and then a little bit more on how I think the bullpen's going to shake out and why just these small moves of Floro and Curtis have me a lot more optimistic about the bullpen heading into the season in just a moment here. But a reminder, as always, that this episode is brought to you by Built Bar, 18 delicious flavors, six brand new ones. They all taste like a dessert. They're all covered in chocolate, easy to chew, and great for a keto diet because they're low in sugar, low in carbs, low in fat, high in protein. What else could you want? from a protein bar and the best of all is if you go to builtbar.com right now and use a promo code locked on you'll get 20% off your next order that's builtbar.com promo code locked on for 20% off your next order also brought to you by our friends at betonline.ag betonline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action Football might be over, but we got the NBA well underway, college basketball, NHL all in full swing. But Bet Online even covers awards, TV shows, reality TV. They've got real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best place to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head over to the website and use your mobile device to sign up today, and you'll get 50% welcome bonus added on to your initial deposit. So if you deposit $100 and use the promo code locked on, you get an extra $50 on top of it. That's promo code locked on for a free 50% bonus with your initial deposit. Ben Online, your online sportsbook experts. So a quick dive back into Curtis. When we look at what he's been able to improve upon, 
the command is the number one thing that stands out. And I love that he was able to find the fact that working out of the stretch worked better for him. And when we look at the Savant numbers across the board, he does have the tendency to give up some hard contact but he does not let a lot of guys get on base. He's able to get still an above average rate of swing and miss, and the expected batting average was still above average as well. So looking at where Curtis slides into things here, I think he's a situational seventh or potentially sometimes eighth inning guy because of his splits as well. He is somebody that surprisingly is really tough on left-handed hitters. And from the video that I've watched, which was surprising, again, because You have a guy that throws a fastball and a slider. You'd expect them as a right-handed pitcher to be tougher on righties. But because of the fact that Curtis has so much break on that slider and because of the fact that he's become so accurate with it, he's able to backleg a lot of left-handed hitters, bury it in on them, and either backdoor them, which is nipping on the outside corner, or bury it in on them by going for that back leg. Both work really well. And he was able to get a lot of guys looking on that slider, which is part of the reason why his whiff rates aren't as high, but he still is able to get a decent amount of strikeouts. Lefties hit just a buck 84 against him with a 225 on base percentage, 436 OPS. Righties hit a little bit better, 250 batting average. All three home runs he allowed this past season were to right handed hitters, but the interesting thing with Curtis is unlike Floro and some of the other guys in the Marlins pen, he's not as much of a ground ball guy. So as somebody that gives up fly balls a little bit more frequently than the other guys in his bullpen, he may benefit a lot more from going from what is very much a hitter's park at Tropicana Field to now a pitcher's park with Marlins Park, which needs to be named something else soon with how strapped for cash the Marlins are. I want to be calling it Publix Park or something else sometime soon. Please figure that out. I don't understand why you wouldn't take free money just to call your stadium something a little bit different. That's an entirely different podcast for another time. So I like Curtis as a situational guy. I talked about how the Marlins need somebody else that they can count on to get lefties out. And I think Curtis has shown that he can be that guy from last year and even from the numbers prior to that. And from the video that I've seen, I'm very much sold on what we saw from him last year, that this is somewhat what we can expect. Maybe not a 180 RA, as he probably would have regressed to the mean a little bit, but I think that you can count on him to be in the mid twos to high twos and just be able to eat those sixth, seventh inning type of roles and get lefties out like you need him to because outside of Ross Detweiler, the Marlins don't really have somebody that has great strikeout numbers against lefties. Richard is pretty consistent against guys from both sides of the plate. But now when we look at the bullpen, This addition just allows the other relievers that I think the Marlins have a lot of solid relievers, but they were like solid middle relievers, not guys that should be pitching in the seventh or eighth inning. Now that the Marlins have some back end guys that can allow the middle relievers to stay in that middle relief role, the Marlins have a pretty even balanced bullpen. While they don't have any exceptional, exceptional relievers, there's not a huge deficit. And I think this is one of the more steady bullpens top to bottom that we've seen from the Marlins in a while, especially after last year. The thing that was really frustrating me in the past was the fact that they didn't have anybody that you could confidently say could pitch late in ball games. And while the guys that the Marlins have now to pitch late in ball games aren't the most exciting in the world, they still can slot in there. And again, now you just have those carved out roles and can expect Richard Blyer to be a middle reliever. Expect James Hoyt to resume the role that he had, not always being the seventh or eighth inning guy that 
to be counted on, but being someone that can clean up in tough situations no matter what inning it is. I think overall that's what the Marlins really needed here, and now this bullpen is much more balanced when we look at it Probably Bass closing, Yimmy in the eighth. You got Floro and Curtis exchanging on the seventh innings. Blyer, Hoyt, Seinbert, and Detweiler all anchoring middle relief spots as well. And if Detweiler can continue what he did last year after showing some new pitch usage and getting some more swings and misses with the breaking ball, that could be a huge addition for the Marlins as well. I think some of the guys that could be disappointing slash the Marlins could look to upgrade from if they don't get off to the start that the Marlins were hoping. That could be a guy like Seinbert. That could be Hoyt if that slider that he found last year is not something that has some staying power. I think with the Marlins, we might see Zach Pop end up going to the IL. Paul Campbell could be a solid middle relief type of swing roll spot starter. And of course, I did not mention the one thing that I know is probably weighing on a lot of Marlins fans right now is the fact that the Marlins DFA'd Harold Ramirez to create that roster spot. And I know a lot of people might be saying, why would the Marlins DFA Harold Ramirez? He's better than Lewis Brinson. And, you know, why would you get rid of somebody that was one of your best hitters in 2019? And if he was healthy in 2020, could have been a big contributor. But my thing with Harold is he's never going to be an everyday player. And that doesn't mean that Lewis Brinson's ever going to be an everyday player either. But Harold is below average defensively. He does have some intrigue offensively, but doesn't walk at all. Even that 2019 season, which he was really impressive, 276 batting average was great, but only a 312 on base percentage, major liability on defense. So I think he can be a contributor for a team and especially a mediocre team that could use a little bit of a spark in his speed and all of those good things. But for the Marlins, their outfield is already pretty completed and the complementary pieces they need have to be more defensive oriented that can fill in those roles as a fourth outfielder. Harold Ramirez is not your prototypical fourth outfielder as he's more offensive minded. If the Marlins maybe had a DH this year, it could be a different story. But with no DH, Lewis Brinson makes way more sense to keep. And of course, you still are hoping that Lewis Brinson can continue to take the steps in the right direction and at least be a lefty platoon guy with some premium defense and speed on the bases. So still, I would know it's frustrating and not ideal to have to part with Harold Ramirez, but we'll see what the Marlins are able to get in return. If it could be something similar to that Austin Dean trade, that would be great. I'm sure the return will be a little bit better than Jordan Yamamoto, but if the Marlins were able to get a prospect for Yamamoto, I would assume they'll be able to get something for Harold Ramirez. There should be a few teams that are interested in his services because if you have a hole in your outfield right now or somebody's hurt and it's just not going to look like they're going to be ready to go to start the season, Harold is somebody you can plug in, no doubt, and will definitely at least pick up the slack and keep things going. But for the Marlins, it was more of a matter of when than if that they were going to part with Harold Ramirez, Magnera Sierra as well, a much more clear-cut fourth outfield option and somebody that showed some improvement last year too. So I think it makes sense for the Marlins there. We'll see what the return is. You know I'll have a podcast talking about and breaking down whatever potential prospect comes over. As you know, I also host Locked On MLB Prospects, the podcast that is always analyzing all of the farm systems across baseball and all the top prospects. So if you enjoy this show and enjoy the prospect analysis that I do here, I think you'll very much enjoy that show as well. 
that will be interesting to see if the Marlins can get a decent return for Ramirez, who is still just 26 years old and has some value as a piece for the right suitor. So we'll see how that continues to unfold in the coming days. But here's the reality of it. The Marlins got better. The Marlins bullpen is a lot more steady, and they are more poised to be able to compete this coming year. And I'm looking forward to at least going into this year without a gaping hole in this team. You can't say they didn't get better this offseason, maybe not to the degree that some may have hoped, but the bullpen is better than last year. That's for sure, especially now. The lineup will be better than last year if the right guys make the strides that they need to make, and Duvall adding a little bit of a punch there as well, and the rotation will be better because these are young guys that are getting better and better and now healthy, and there's some potential reinforcements that can be coming up as well. Very exciting. Pitchers and catchers reported today. Spring training around the corner. Before we know it, it'll be baseball season, and we'll be talking Marlins baseball with games every day once again. Very much looking forward to that. Thank you for listening as always, and I look forward to talking Marlins baseball with you tomorrow.